0: the book of malachi starting in chapter three well i thought we would finish yesterday but we didn't (laughs) so i'm pretty sure we're finishing the old testament today remember malachi is the prophet is the last prophet uh both in timeline and in the order of the way that the bible has been arranged for us and he so was during the time of nehemiah the new temple had been built people had come out of Babylon and Persia and resettled the land, but they were still living their own way. They were not living according to the way of God. Uh, some of the worst ways that had been a practice of the people before were were done away with. So they had been purified in, in a small way, but their their hearts were still not for the Lord. And so we saw that a lot in, in one and two of God listing the, some of the different ways in which you could see that their hearts were not for the Lord. And so he picks right up from there and says, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap, He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely. And against those who oppress the wage earners in his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? So let's, let's break that down. Obviously, there's a lot in there. The, the very first part is clearly talking about John the Baptist. Jesus quotes this and, and says, you know, that when, he's, when he's explaining who John the Baptist was, I think it's Matthew 11, Jesus quotes this. And so he's, he's talking about John the Baptist. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. So that's John the Baptist. And the Lord whom you seek, this is Jesus, will suddenly come to his temple. So this part was fulfilled in some portion, but I would put before you that the, the total fulfillment of this ha- is still yet to come. That Jesus is meant to raise up many sons, many living stones in a, uh, a living, vibrant temple of God. The scripture over and over again speaks about a new Jerusalem, um, this city on a hill that is the light of god to all the world that's clear to see and we're going to see in this book as well a clear dividing line where the people of god are very evidently separate different and glorious to all of creation including all those people who don't know the lord and so this is the the fullness of jesus when he is made complete within his people is this um suddenly come to his temple behold he is coming and then it talks about what is it like when he comes verse 2 but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears so is this a nice easy you know fluffy time where (laughs) oh good the lord is here or is this a, a A terrible awful wonderful time where it's very difficult who can endure it who can even stand when he appears for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap he will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver so when you're being refined and purified if you're and i've said this before this comes up often in the scriptures if you're a hunk of silver that occurs in the ground you have a bunch of dross in you, parts of just regular earth that are not silver. And so you're not a clean piece of silver that can be used for a, a fine dish or a piece of jewelry or whatever. You, you got a bunch of junk in you. And so they have to heat you up with fire to melt you down, to remove this stuff. And then they reform you. So if, you know, silver it's not not alive, it's not like us but if it were if that were you this would be an excruciating process to be melted down to have this stuff removed from you but when the process is over you are more purified and actually they do this process many times in order to get finer silver and I happen to know a little bit about that subject and if you depending on the fineness um, you know you, you can you can buy silver that's uh nine 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 silver that means it's only uh one tenth of one percent uh impurities or you can get four nines, which is one one hundredth of one percent purity it It depends on how much they purify it as to the the you know purity of the silver. well, it's the same thing with the Lord in our lives he it says right here. He is going to purify us, refine us, like fuller soap. I don't know as much about that one, but I assume it's the same thing. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Okay, so he tells us specifically he is purifying the sons of Levi. Well, who are those? That is the tribe of of Israel, one of the 12 tribes, that or 13 if you count uh, the two tribes of Joseph as two instead of one. Uh, but anyways, Levi is one of the 12 tribes, and he was the tribe that was made the Levitical priesthood. So the Levites were as all the other uh, tribes of God, tribes of the people of Israel, people of God. Inherited land and they went about work like tending fields or tending herds or trade or you know, whatever. A little more, it was all good work, it's all being a part of the people of God. But the sons of Levi were set apart and they were to tend to the Lord, they were to take care when they were in the wilderness, they would set up his tabernacle, they would tear it down when it was time to move, they would. Do the offerings in the sons of Aaron uh, with the priesthood that went into the, you know, the holiest of places, the holy of holies. uh, They were Levites. And so these tended to the Lord and they taught the people the ways of the Lord. And they presented offerings to the Lord on behalf of the people. So they were the hands and feet of God to the people. And they were the offerings of the people to God. So he says, I will refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings and righteousness. Well, if we want to keep it literal and we want to look at um, the sons of Levi, they were best represented. Remember, the tribes were really shaken up during during all this time. Um, and so they what developed over these few hundred years is instead of being a strict Levitical priesthood, there became a pharisaical priesthood. And so when, so I guess it's not technically literal. So we know that Paul, who started out as Saul, was a Pharisee, right? He called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. But he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was not a Levite. Um, So... These things had already been, been shaken up even before Jesus came and truly shook things up. Um, but the people who were acting as a priesthood... Now, the, um, the Sadducees, I believe, were the sons of Zadok, and so they were Levites. They were sons of Aaron, and that's why they were in charge of everything. And the Pharisees came along and said, you guys are not strict enough or you're not doing things our way we've got another interpretation and so in some ways the Pharisees had a, a fuller understanding of what God you know the ways of God what God was doing and what God had said like they believed in the prophets and the Sadducees didn't so that was a better understanding in some ways they made up a lot of their own laws and traditions that were not scriptural and so then that, those ways they had a worse understanding uh, we looked at that with some of the holidays in the spring. And so, you know, they they, they had two different understandings of pursuing the Lord. But in any ways, he says, I will purify the sons of Levi. Well, we do know if from Acts that many Pharisees did come to the Lord uh, after the Lord. Not so much. Well, there was a couple while the Lord was alive. They did it in secret, right? But then... The Lord returned and then he went up in the sky the Holy Spirit came and then the church started to grow and we know that there were many Pharisees because they were the ones who had a, a more of a tendency to be Judaizers that to m- make sure people had circumcisions and stuff like this um, that, that more stuck to the law because that was their training they Um, and so there were disputes amongst the people because of the Pharisees. Now, most of them didn't. I don't know the numbers, but I would assume most Pharisees did not come to the Lord even then, but but we know quite a few did from Acts, and that's sort of all we know. So we see a purifying there, but we also know from the New Testament that the Levitical priesthood has been replaced with the order of Melchizedek. And that is the priesthood that is intended to be the end-time priesthood for the people of God. And so if that is the end-time priesthood to be uh, of the order of Melchizedek, then this absolutely would uh, apply to the kings and priests of Melchizedek. And that in order to be raised up under the order of Melchizedek, This refining is an essential part. And then they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. And so then you have a priesthood that represents God to the people and the offerings from the people to God. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. And so we see, you know, we talk about this New Jerusalem that this this city of god this people of god are pleasing to the lord as it was always intended to be then i will draw near to you for judgment and i will be a swift witness against the sorcerers against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earners and his wages the widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me so he he brought up uh, a lot of these things in the prior two chapters and he's saying he's coming in judgment against this worldly way against this carnal way the people who live for themselves where they live according to their own philosophies their own theologies uh their their own selfish way of life who put themselves in their own way of thinking above uh, the those these other people out there whether that be people they've they've sworn an oath to, such as a spouse, or whether that be uh, just people who work for them, or whether that be just strangers, the downcast, the downtrodden, who who need uh, you know who the Lord is should be sending them to help instead they are hurting them in some way or another. Six for I the Lord do not change; therefore, you of sons of Jacob are not consumed. I had a conversation. With someone who, you know, is a regular church attender, but, but, um, hasn't, you know, how do you define people? I don't know. Ha- hasn't read the Bible. I'll say that. Um, f- and, and he, and he said to me, I was talking about something. He says, well, what are you talking about? Well, Cause I said, it's God just, I threw it. I said the name God. And he said, what are you talking about? Like, God of the Old Testament or Jesus? <laughs> what? So the only God that's ever been, you know, God. This shouldn't need... You know, it's a weird question to me. Uh, and here's a verse to answer that. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. So he's saying, I've always had a promise. I've always carved out a remnant for my people. Even during the beginning, when I mentioned Cain and Abel yesterday, um, you know, where the first great sin outside the garden had to do with uh, the offering that uh, Abel made a good offering, Cain made a bad offering, then Cain was jealous of Abel, and so he killed uh, he killed Abel, and so you can say the, the first major sin outside the garden. I'm not talking about, obviously, Adam and Eve sin before they came around. But outside the garden, first major sin that we know about was giving a bad offering to the Lord. But then second major sin was the jealousy of the one who gave the good offering and the killing of him. And so God said, this is a mess left over. But he said, well, I can create a remnant out of this fallen man. And they had, they had Seth, the, another son. Out of Adam and Eve in whom he preserved a line a remnant for his promise and we've seen over and over and over again the next major one was Noah where he preserved a line of people in Noah's family from this fallen decrepit world of, of people who lived totally for themselves not for the way of God and we see you know what, what did it list uh, the sons of men uh, going after marrying many women. Sons of God marrying many women. so we see again, it's had to do with kind of a, a sexual, um, uh, selfish way of life rather than living unto the Lord. And so he carved out a remnant again and started over. And he's done this, I mean, I've never tried to make a list. But it's got to be at least 20 specific times. It's probably more like 30 or 40 specific times in Scripture. Where he says, the people... You just read the book of Judges. It's a short little book where he does this over and over again. And he carves... He says, okay, the people, I've warned you. You've you've gone away from me. i blessed you. And then as after you were blessed, you turned away from me. And I warned you and I warned you. Now I'm judging you and I'm pulling out a remnant and I'm going to bless them. Which is still part of you... But it's the part that is loyal to me, that is living according to my covenant and my way of life, not for their own ways. And so he says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. He always uh, prepares this remnant for his promises. Because just as he told Adam and Eve, he plans on mankind ruling and reigning all of his creation to take on his nature his likeness his wisdom his love his glory so that all of creation has access to these things that's the order of Melchizedek he loves mankind so much that he's preserved this promise for us but we have to live according to his way we can't go our own way and still have the promise it's one or the other and so in order to have this we have to go his way, and so, but he says, "I have not changed. My plan is still in effect, and I will have this remnant people who do this." Verse seven: From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you," says Lord Host. So he says quite clearly, "I will have a people. When you live, when I have a people that lives for me, I will bless you incredibly." Um, but you must return to me. And then this conversation picks up again. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? You are robbing, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If i will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows then i will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes says the lord of hosts all the nations will call you blessed for you shall be a delightful land says the lord of hosts so he's saying that the people need to give of themselves for him you know when you love somebody you sacrifice yourself for them right if you're married you sacrifice what you desire for your spouse if you if you have a child you sacrifice what you desire for your child if you love somebody else a brother sister in christ you sacrifice of yourself for them um this is just normal and we kind of inherently get this but a lot of times Mankind refuses to do this for God We just think he should be our genie in a bottle That we open the bottle and he gives us a wish when we want it And then we shove him back in the bottle And God says, no, that's, that's not the way of it We are to live this together And you are to continually give of yourself to me And I will continually give of myself to you Who do you think can give more? The God who created everything or you? Well, obviously he can give more. So do we trust him that he will? Do we trust him that he will take care of us? And so we can look at this on many levels. The tithe, obviously we should be tithing of of our money. We're you know, we not doing, dealing in crops, uh, so, most of us. So, the, the, and a lot of people like to think that, well, tithe, that's Old Testament, that doesn't matter. Well, when did the tithe start? Well, we see, we already talked about Cain and Abel giving offerings right at the beginning, right? So, that's way before the Levitical priesthood, the law of Moses. But even before that, Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Well, if we were called to the order of Melchizedek, and the first time we're introduced to Melchizedek, Abraham pays him a tithe or gives him a tithe that maybe is important right that's maybe something that's actually goes far beyond the law of moses but is a principle of life that god s- sowed into the world that where we get our our uh, godly um direction and our discipleship, where, where we are growing from the Lord, where we are being fed, that that is where the tithes should go. That is a principle that is throughout scripture, throughout mankind, throughout the history of God and man. But it means more than just money. Are we giving a tithe of our life, of our time, of our who we are? Are we continually giving up of our own self and our own ways and our own thoughts and our own desires and our own preferences in order for the Lord to have his way in us that's what he's looking for more than anything the money is an excellent barometer of the heart and so if if we're not doing that with our money we're not doing it with anything else but you can also uh, grow up religious and it's just a bedrock principle for you that you always give a tithe monetarily but your heart is truly not in it it's just such a strong principle that, that you grew up with like if you if you're coming to the lord and you have to come to grips with the idea of giving up 10 percent, well that's you start looking at your future and you think man how am i gonna make it without this 10 percent? that's that's a huge, like, I could be saving that and providing for my future. And you have to come to grips with really trusting the Lord will take care of your future, that you can come up with other money to save, that you have to live on less in order to give for the Lord. Those are, those are massive things to come to grips with and, and wonderful purifying things to, to purify your soul through this process of learning to do this. But if you grew up in a family where you, this was just taught, you grew up in a Bible-believing household, and you were always taught you tithe no matter what, and you've been doing it since you first started working when you were sixteen or whatever, and you've always tithe, you're already used to this. It's not it's it's not a hard thing. You already know. Yeah, there's it's I'm perfectly capable of saving. I'm my. You can do it without having as much trust in the Lord because it's a religious principle. It's a good principle, but it shows a little bit less. Again, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying, are you really giving a tithe of your heart, a tithe of your time, a time, a tithe of who you are to the Lord? Because he wants it all, not, not just the money. The, the, the again the money's a good barometer showing I'm going to trust the lord by giving up this that my future that he will have my future and what does he say he says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now on this because the temple specifically the the temple the priesthood was not being taken care of in those days so well the when the priest had no food <laughs> it was difficult for them to um, tend to the house of God tend to the to the people of God and he basically says return the tithe to me if and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows now people have abused this and other scriptures and they say well give this and God will make you rich well God's not promising to make you rich he promises some to be rich he certainly can he, he wants to withhold nothing from you but it's not necessarily good for everyone to be rich uh, in, in monetary terms, the way the world thinks about it. So, you know, if you're hung up on that, that that's. It, people who use that are misusing scripture for their own benefit. So, watch out. But, he is promising blessing. Because what is it? It's giving up of, of what I have, what I hold precious, in order to give up for the Lord. And, and believing in the Lord, trusting in the Lord that he has my future. And so when, when he, he, we give him that trust, he says, I will open up the storehouses of heaven and bless you immeasurably. And that goes far beyond money. Money is a, a small, he will take care of your your monetary needs. If you are giving your life to him, he will take care of you in every way. But far beyond just money we're talking about his very life that he will give to you he will pour out for you a blessing until it overflows and then what then i will rebuke the devourer for you so satan and all those minions that he has against you he will rebuke those things again this is not cut and dry well i i paid a tithe so why is this problem still participating and still per- persisting it, this is a life it's, it's not a magic spell. It's a life. Enter into this way of life and all these things will happen for you. It's a process, though. He will rebuke the devourer and so it will not destroy the fruit of the ground or will your vine in the field cast its grapes. All the nations will call you blessed for you shall be a delightful land. And so now he's more talking about just a person. He's certainly talking about blessing a person, but he's talking about a people who live according to this way. And that this people, his kingdom people, his kingdom in the earth will be seen by other nations, other peoples. And and creation will see, wow, that kingdom is a delightful land. That is the way of God, and I want to go that way. 13, your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God, and what profit is it? That we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts so now we call the arrogant blessed not only are the doers of wickedness built up but they also test God and escape so the people of God were saying it's useless to serve God like kind of like actually what I just said oh I pay a tithe but now I'm not rich well you <laughs> again not a magic trick it's a way of life and you will as you wait on him it's important to give of what we have. It's very important to wait on him. And so he says, the, the people here were saying, well, we see people, they're not doing this, and they seem to be profiting more from it. And they're, they're doing wickedness, but God's not hurting them. Remember the people in the time of Jeremiah, even after... The, uh, Jeremiah and other prophets had prophesied that because you've turned away from God, um, God's going to bring judgment. He's going to bring the nation of Babylon, and he's going to remove the people and destroy Jerusalem. Even after the people, um, this all this did happen. And then the people, some of them were trying to escape to Egypt. They still were trying to pursue other gods. And Jeremiah says, what are you doing? Didn't you not see what happened? And they said, well, back when we were um, worshiping Asherah, we had good. They were, they couldn't see all this. They just saw what they wanted to see. And even though God had told them what he was going to do, and then he did it, it long, you know, years passed and they hadn't kept track of all this. All they knew was they got a momentary delight in doing evil and going about the ways of the world. And they wanted to go back to those ways. And so God judged them again, even in Egypt, for this. And so here we see the people with the same kind of heart. Well, those people, they're doing this. And I see an immediate benefit. You know, if you have an extra 10% to spend, I could go right now. It's early in the morning, but I could sure I could spend some, somewhere to spend that money, right? You, you, there's always an immediate benefit to going your own way. It's a long term life of blessing to going God's way. And so what is our perspective? What are we focusing on? What are we noticing? And they were noticing what they wanted to see, which is what was in the fallen heart of man. But then we see a shift in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine. So see, he's separating out this remnant people, and he's saying, okay, the rest of the people don't want to go my way, that's fine. Here's a people, they're gathering together. They're giving attention to the Lord and to each other. They're worshiping me. He says, 17, they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. So this is really important. This is what we keep, all all the prophets keep mentioning that this is going to happen in the kingdom age that there will be a kingdom people who are very distinct what's the word holy mean? set apart set apart from the ways of the world the wisdoms of man and god says they will be mine they have given me attention they have heard my word and lived my ways on that day that i prepare my own possession so he's saying i will make this set apart people a kingdom I will spare them as a man spares his own son. Remember at the very beginning of this book, I said he's going to talk about the importance of sonship, raising up many sons. He's sparing his people as his own son. That means he's he's carving out a special track. If there's a, a man who owns a big business and there's a lot of people that work for him, they're going to all be on a normal career track, right? The people who do the best work are going to be rewarded by promotion, and they're all going to work up in that way. People who don't do well are going to uh, be, you know, fired or demoted or just not not rise. When the the owner's son enters the business, he's going to have a special track. He might spend a little bit of time in every department of the business so that he can understand all the different goings, uh, goings on of the business, he's going to have more intimate time with the owner of the company because it's his father, he's going to be prepared, this is the same with a king and a prince, right, you could be in the court of a king, and you're very close to the king, and you see kind of a lot of what's going on, but you're not on the same track as the king's son, when the king's son gets old enough to start learning of these things, he's going to be taken into the council of the king he's not just going to see what happens he's going to begin be told and taught why it's happening he's going to have a special track same with the owner of the company same with any father and his son and who is our father the lord god what are we called to be mature sons Uh, Romans tells us all of creation groans in expectation, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. This is what God intends in the world, and this is what he says. On that day, I will prepare my own possession. I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. There will be a clear distinction. It won't just seem like just another person. When did another religious person going around, oh, you know, oh well, yeah, he's he's a Christian. I'm not, um, but he's just the same as me. He just goes to church on Sundays. We're talking about a clear distinction will be made between those who have the fullness of God within them, who are His living temple, and those who don't. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. And then we will go on to the last chapter 4. This is only 5 verses. For behold the day is coming burning like a furnace and all the arrogant and every evil doer will be chaff and the day that is coming will set them ablaze says the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch but for you who fear my name the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall you will tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I command him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the lamb with the curse. So again, we see that his coming is like a fire, it's burning us up, it's burning up the dross within each of our own hearts, but it's burning severely all those who go any other way other than his way. Every evildoer and arrogance burned up like chaff, and he sets them ablaze so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. He's doing away with all the worldly ways of mankind, and but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. So, for his set apart people, we see blessing. We see the very Lord himself rising up in a sun, the healing light of the sun, uh, lifting us up, healing in its wings. There's just so much imagery that, you know, it just literally doesn't even make sense, but we see just so much imagery of healing, of being lifted up. You will go forth skipping like calves from the stall so the calf from the stall is contained he's not free right all of a sudden the stall door is open and he's skipping around in joy because he's free to run so this is the people of god who set themselves apart for this day you will tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which i am preparing So every evil that stands against his people cannot stand because the Lord himself is is within his people and they are clearly his and no evil can stand against them. But he says, remember the law of Moses. So live according to the way of God, not our own counsel, not our own philosophies, not our own religion or our own way of thinking, but according to the spirit of God and where he leads us behold i'm going to send you elijah the prophet so when the people were all wondering well how can the messiah be here where was elijah this is where they get that um Eli- you know the last prophet they had seen malachi had said elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the lord and then what is how does the old testament end What's God going to do? He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. The land has been under a curse ever since Adam fell. He wants to restore a Garden of Eden reality to his people. It starts with a remnant people. It grows to a full kingdom, uh, the fullness of, of you know Jesus' thousand-year reign. Then there's another final battle, and then and then it's eternal. That this is all what was always attended, intended, intended, um, comes to everlasting you know, wonder, beauty, grace. Um, but how is it? How does he go about it? He restores the family of God, the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. That that each one of us has. father in heaven that we know clearly who he is that he gives our life our life and our direction comes from him but he's also creating a family culture within a people who um, you know has to say it because some people take this way out of context and they take it too far but that we have spiritual fathers who teach us and grow us up in the way of the Lord who disciple us so that we know and as we grow then we become fathers for others when when the fullness of time when the Lord gives us to that and and then we're able to train others up in this way so that God has a family on the earth who makes his ways known this is what he is always intended to do this is what he is doing and will do so that his family culture his way of life uh, propagates throughout the world through his people This is his kingdom come. This is what God promises he will do. And this is what we have the joy to see him doing in our very day. And so the New Testament will, you know, it'll break that forth in a lot of ways. You know, I I gave a picture the other day. I think it was in one of the Zechariah talks. But I talked about a golf swing. And um, I was a soccer player growing up. And so I can still, you know, it's been decades since I play soccer, but I have kids in soccer a little bit, and I can hit a soccer ball probably than uh, most better than most people, most you know able-bodied skilled. You take a great football player, basketball player, baseball player who hasn't played soccer, and a you know twenty-five year old athlete, and have him kick a ball, and I can probably kick a ball better than he can because I was trained up in that. Now can I kick a ball as well as I could when I was eighteen? No, I cannot <laughs> because I lost some of that training. We talked about how in discipleship, you can uh, be trained up in the way of the Lord and it takes how do i well I forget how i I pictured this, but I thought about it later and I thought well I could have taken that illustration further so. If, if I tell you how to kick a soccer ball, I can tell you every detail of everything I can think about of how to do it. But when you try it, it if, you, if you don't have that experience kicking a soccer ball, it's not going to go very well. It's not going to be an impressive kick. Um, so th- that means that's the difference between religion and life religion is kind of knowing about something life is living something so if you start practicing that kicking and over years you develop a proficiency for it well then you can come into being able to kick the ball well the coach is the one discipling it's in this case of this verse is the father uh, teaching up the children raising up the sun, um that's discipleship and so the you know god, god is the only one when uh paul used an example of planting seeds that people were getting in a fight whether um, paul was the father or whether apollos was her father and um that in paul's like y'all are being ridiculous he's like look i planted the seed apollos watered it but it's only god who makes it grow and so it's, it's god does the growing but he uses people he uses paul he uses apollos in order to, for the life of god to spring forth amongst these people well this is this process of discipleship in that case we also see apostleship involved but uh, discipleship is enacting in helping with someone who has more of the life of god in them helping the other person grow in the life of god it's only god who does the growing his ways are always mysterious to everyone but the more we work in these the more we see well you continue on this way and god will show up he will do the work just like you continue kicking the soccer ball in a certain way your body's gonna figure a little bit out here a little bit each day or each year until you're kicking that ball really well and so that, that's kind of the process of learning to walk the spiritual walk, to live the spiritual life instead of having a religion, but being completely in the world. Um, God wants us to enter into his culture, into his way of life, not just have a religion where we believe in him, but believe that he has a whole new life for us, that we should be born again into his life, and that we should live it. And we, when we're born, we start as a baby. And then we grow into a toddler. And we grow a little older, a little older. And someday, he intends for us to be mature sons of God. I think the Greek word is weos. It means a mature son of God. That all of creation groans in expectation for the revealing of That is God's purpose, and that's what God's doing, and that is it for today. The Lord bless you. We'll start in, uh, I think we've done Matthew and Mark already. We'll start in Luke tomorrow.